Well, since Christmas, January, I've been on this kind of new program, if you will, where I've been trying to eat less than this allotted amount of calories. I've been watching my caloric intake. And I've been finding it to be a considerable struggle because I've got this condition, and maybe you have it too, it's called being hungry. And that presents a considerable obstacle to limiting myself under a particular number of calories, especially like last night when my wife cooks these wonderful enchiladas and brings out this guacamole. I mean, it's, it's at that point I lose count of my calories. And I don't know about you, but do you sometimes, it's, it's, for me, it's about 10 o'clock at night, 10 p.m., or maybe I wake up at 2 a.m., and I'm just hungry. And what do I do without even thinking? I just go to the refrigerator, and I open up the door, and I just look inside of it. And there's a lot of stuff there, but for some reason, there doesn't appear to be anything that looks like it's going to satisfy or kind of meet my cravings. But I still just stand there in front of the door anyway while it's open. Do any of you do that? Can anybody relate? Yeah, we have some here who do that. The rest of you didn't raise your hand. You're liars. We all do that. Okay, let's be honest. It's, we all do that. We hunger for things. And not only on a physical level, but we hunger for things on an emotional and spiritual level. We hunger for love. We hunger for significance. We hunger for success. We hunger for status. And the good news is, is that Jesus says that one of the conditions of a blessed life is to be hungry. In fact, if we could have the Scripture by way of the screen, the fourth beatitude, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And let's read it together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So this is the fourth beatitude, the fourth blessing of a life that is ideal, of a life that fulfills the one God's created us to live. And what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? It is that place when we are merging in our spiritual growth, our maturity and development, and we realize that we are made for more. There just becomes this awareness within us that we can be and that we can do more in God's kingdom than we ever thought we could. That God has downloaded this supernatural power within our lives. There becomes this awareness that our lives can be centered and focused on making an impact in the lives of other people more than we ever thought we could could do or more than we ever thought we could be. And we begin asking the question, how do I get there? How do I get to the place of a greater spiritual maturity? How do I level up in my faith? How do I increase my obedience? How do I develop the skills and the place? And where do I go in my life where my ministry is beginning to have a major impact in the lives of others? And there's this place within us where we start to hunger and we start to thirst for greater things. In the way that we get there, the way that we move to this place 
of impact, and please listen to me, is not by saying, God, where do you want me to be tomorrow? And try to figure out how to get there. The way we get there is when we say, God, how can I be obedient today in such a way that will prepare me for the doors that you will open up tomorrow? To get to the place where God wants you to be is not for God to answer the question about tomorrow, but for God to speak to you about today. So I want to talk about this hungering and thirsting for righteousness and what it looks like and how do we get there? How do we prepare for today to see God open the doors for where He would have us to be tomorrow? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 5 as we're continuing on in this series, The Blessed Life. We look at the fourth beatitude, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. If you don't have your Bibles with you, we'll have all of the Scriptures by way of the screen. Now by way of review, this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And as we said a few weeks ago, thousands of people are gathered around Jesus. He's up on this mountain, and people are wanting him to bring a revolution. And Jesus is not going to bring a revolution that would look what we would call like the thermometer revolution, where he changes the circumstances, he changes the environment of the things around us, but he brings a revolution of a thermostat. He brings the change within us so that we change the environment and the things around us. And we said that through this message, through these Beatitudes, it can be kind of broken into three parts. The first three Beatitudes can be called the roots. It's kind of the the plan, if we have that by way of the screen. The roots. That what takes place within our minds. That's what takes place beneath the surface of our lives where God begins to change our thinking and our motivations. In verse 6, we're going to look at that today. It's the shoot. It's what starts to emerge where we start to really grow in our faith. And that's what we'll see today. And then it moves to the last three, the last four Beatitudes, and that's the fruit, where we begin to change in our behaviors. So before we become hungry for God, we've got to become empty of ourselves. And that's what the first three Beatitudes are about. If we look by way of the screen, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means that the blessed life begins when you understand that God wants to richly bless you from His generosity, and it's nothing that you can earn, it's nothing you can deserve, it's nothing you can pay back. He just simply gives it to you because He loves you, and so you surrender and you give up on your self-sufficiency. You put aside the notions that I can figure this out, that this is under my control, this is something I know how to do. The blessed life begins when we realize our incapability to earn the blessings of God. But it comes from His richness and His love. Then the second one, verse 4, is blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And that's where we go through some real changes in our lives. Mourning, we said a few weeks ago, is when we go through the process of grieving, and that gives us the strength to give up things that we're not meant to hold on to any longer. 
And so that's that process of repentance that we go through. Then verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And Pastor John spoke about that last week. And meekness is when our talents and our strengths come under God's control. That's when the spirit of gentleness comes upon us. You exercise meekness when you're at the airport. You're putting your luggage up on the conveyor belt in the TSA line, and a person comes in front of you and totally cuts the line and puts their luggage up in front of you. And rather than making a scene or exchanging words, you realize this is just going to cost me 15 extra seconds. These people are real jerks, and I want to tell them off, but I'm not going to. Because it's not worth my time. It's not worth my energy. I will save my talents, my gifts, my abilities for the battles that really matter. And in these first three Beatitudes, as we said, this is the roots where God brings changes within our heart and within our mind that occur below the surface. The Holy Spirit is doing a deep surgery within our motivations within our hurts, our pains, our difficulties. And sometimes it's a very messy and difficult process. And we don't yet see the fruit of spiritual growth because God is doing an internal work within our lives. There will be people you will disciple, that you will come alongside of. And they've got these hurts and these wounds and these baggages and you are ministering to them and loving them, and they are taking steps of obedience, but it's hard and it's messy, and you don't really see the fruit of it yet because the changing is occurring within them. Because God changes us from the inside out rather than conforming us from the outside in. But then we now move to the shoot. If you start to move through those areas, then you begin to realize you begin to awaken to the fact that I've got a destiny. That as Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that we are created in Jesus Christ to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You begin to realize that you are placed on this earth for something bigger, something more, something better than you could have ever dreamed or imagined. And when you become awakened to that reality, and we need people awakened to that reality because as a church, we have said that we are here to pass on an obedient relationship with Christ to our community. That's our job. That's our goal. And when you become aware of that, changes begin to emerge. And so verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So if you're in a note-writing mood, let me give you two things that that means to hunger and thirst for righteousness and how it leads you to be filled with an eternal satisfaction. Number one, it's this. You absorb that which brings spiritual strength. You absorb that which brings spiritual strength. If you are hungry, you're healthy. If you're not hungry, you're sick. It was on Christmas Day, the day that I like to eat the most, 
the day that I look most forward to the celebration and the meal that's going to be prepared as I gather with my family. And on this past Christmas Day, I got the flu. I didn't eat any food. In fact, I gave food up, okay? And when you're hungry, you're healthy, you have a baby who comes into the world, an infant. You don't have to train that baby to be hungry, do you? They've got an appetite because if they're healthy, they want to grow and they want to take nutrition in. And so the sign of spiritual health is that you have hunger. And if you are not hungry for more of God, if you are not hungry for the things of eternity, then it is a sign that right now you are spiritually unhealthy, even though you may have been hungry three, ten, whatever years ago. But for you now, it just feels like... uh, It's another Sunday. No big deal. I've done this before. I was with a woman a couple last week, 86 years old. She's probably got about six months of life left within her. She's crossing the finish line. She's been walking with the Lord twice as long as I have. And as I meet with her, as I sit with her, I see a woman who is, knows the Scriptures thoroughly, but she is talking to me and she is fellowshipping with me and she is clinging to the Scriptures so tightly because she is hungry to cross the finish line of life when she goes into eternity and she wants to finish strong. And though physically she is on her last leg, spiritually she is extremely healthy because she is hungering for God up until the very end and realizes that she is dependent upon Him. You're at that place and you're hungering for God and you believe God has more. And you're struggling with doubts. You're struggling with fear. And so you begin to feed yourself with the things that are going to help you to overcome your fear. So you read Hebrews 11 and you do a study of it over and over and over. The great chapter of the hall of faith and the great men and women of faith in the Old Testament. You read biographies and you watch documentaries about the great men and women of faith throughout history. Hudson Taylor and George Mueller, Elizabeth Elliot, and you kind of learn, you emulate their lives. You begin to meditate and saturate your mind with Scriptures that will help you to overcome your fear. So you get into Scriptures like Isaiah 41.10 that says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And in that situation you're afraid of, you you dig into that Scripture and you say, Lord, do I believe that? Lord, I will obey that. Lord, I will trust that this is true. You begin to hang around with people who exercise faith. You do it because you realize that faith is sometimes more caught than it is taught. And you want their faith to become contagious And you want that to spread onto you. And so you hang around. And then most importantly, you begin to take acts of faith. You walk in faith. So you begin to tithe. Or you take a prayer journal. And you write down the prayers you are believing God for. And then you're looking back at your journal. And when God gives answers, you write down the date. 
and you describe how God answered those prayers and your faith begins to grow and build, you begin to feed yourself with the things that are leading you toward the destiny that God has created you to walk in. You begin to give up things that aren't going to get you there. You give up The Bachelor. I've never watched The Bachelor, but I hear it doesn't really help you in your spiritual walk. (laughs) So you give up The Bachelor. I just know you're not supposed to watch it. I've never seen it. You give up scrolling for hours through Facebook, the internet, and Instagram. And you begin kind of weaning yourself away from things that can be spiritually dangerous. You begin to take your thoughts captive, filling yourself with things that are going to really matter. You begin hanging around people, not that you don't reach out to people who need Jesus and connect with them, but for those that are going to influence you, you hang out with people who are going to elevate your life rather than to bring it down. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You feed yourself. Do you remember when your mom used to say, and maybe your mom says it to you now, before supper, don't eat candy. Don't go into the cookie jar. Don't eat the sweets. You ever remember mom saying that? She had some wisdom, didn't she? Because when you eat the candy, you eat the cookies, you eat the sweets before meal, it ruins your meal because you get what's called the sugar buzz. And that sugar buzz creates the illusion that you're really filled and it masks your body's real need for protein, for vitamins. You've got the sugar buzz that doesn't make you stronger, that doesn't make you healthier, and so it masks you from eating or desiring the things that you really need. And folks, in our walk with the Lord, we got to move away from the spiritual sugar buzz. When you hunger and you thirst for righteousness, you want the stuff that's really going to take you and level you up to the places where God has called you to walk. And so because of that, no longer are you satisfied with just quick devotional thoughts that take little samples of Scripture completely out of context. No longer are you satisfied with just on-the-run prayers. And those can be be good, but they've become a substitute for time that you spend in real conversation from, with God, where you listen to Him to change your heart, where you speak to Him. You no longer are satisfied with motivational speeches on TV that are peppered with a few Bible verses that have become a substitute for real discipleship in community with real people going through real struggles and striving for real growth? No longer are you satisfied with the spirituality that moves us in the moment, but you want a spirituality and a faith that sustains you in the storm. And so you move away from all of those feel-good, sugar-high messages that just says God is just thinks you're so awesome. God just thinks you're so wonderful. There's so much greatness within you. 
You have so much limitless potential that God has put in you. Believe in yourself because God believes in you. There's some truth to that, isn't there? But there's another side of the story. Our lives are messed up and we're rebellious. And as much as God has placed potential within us, we realize that in our everyday lives, we yell at our kids. We have conflict with our spouses. We act out of selfishness. At times we lie because we want to make ourselves look better than we are. We gossip. We covet. We sin against a holy God in word, thought, and deed. And folks, when you're at that place, you dwelling on the light within or your limitless potential is not going to get you to the place of the transformation you need that Jesus Christ has brought through the cross. God has a matchless love and forgiveness for each of us. But it's a transformation that takes place not when we look within ourselves, but when we connect and look to Him. And folks, when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, He didn't say blessed are those who think they are righteous. Blessed are those who think they are better than other people. Blessed are those who think they have it together. He says, blessed are those who realize they're not all there, but they are hungry and thirsty for more. Amen. So you feed your life on the things that are going to help you to move forward in God's destiny for you. Number two, you absorb that which brings spiritual stamina. Not only that which brings you spiritual strength today, but spiritual stamina for tomorrow. Now when Jesus uses the word here, when it's in the Greek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, in the Greek it's in the active tense. And that means it's a continual state of being. It's not like you're there once in your life or a couple of times or at a strategic area. It is a place where you're continually at. Now this is weird because when I'm hungry, like 10 o'clock at night or 2 a.m. when I wake up, my hunger is kind of this alert that goes off in my mind that says, you haven't eaten for a while, okay? It's been two hours, you're hungry. Go to the refrigerator, grab something, put it in your mouth, down in your stomach, done, I'm satisfied. That's what hunger does on the physical level. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says that in the very state of being hungry, in the very state of being thirsty, in the very desire of wanting more, that is the place of blessedness. It's not some place where we arrive and we're done. It is a continual journey that we take. And what that means is that for those who are true disciples walking in God's plan, they realize that they've never arrived. And we're at the place where we say, God, thank you for where you've brought me. And I have such joy in that. But God, I have such joy in the faith and the hope and the belief of where I'm yet to go. We're content and blessed on where we are, but there's a holy discontent for what God has yet to do. 
And it's a magnetic pull, it's a hunger that should drive us till we meet Jesus Christ face to face in eternity and we see the fullness of His glory. We are on a pilgrimage here because this is not our home and we're never completely satisfied with the things around us. As I'm pastoring here at Crossroads and having an awesome time, it's working with people, working with teams, discipling. And sometimes people are like, Pastor, this is taking so long. This is so hard to mature. It's so hard to to build this team. Things are going slower than I would like. And folks, I've been saying this to people, that if God wants to make a squash, He takes a couple of months. If God wants to make an oak, He takes several years. And so if we as a church want to have a spiritual squash ministry, It'll come quick, it'll come easy, but it'll be gone too. But if God is making us strong, let's be patient and build with quality materials. Patience is hard, isn't it? And the blessed life is one that can walk in patience. It was last week I was in Florida, 86 degrees. Came back to Michigan, it was negative three. So I went out into the shuttle and metro, Detroit Metro Airport. So we were in Florida and I was with my, my mom and, and she lives in, in, in close to Orlando. And so my wife and, and my daughter, they wanted to go to, to the beach. So we, we headed toward the coast, the Atlantic Ocean. And I, I, I'm not a beach person. That's not my gig. To me, it's just like an endless sandbox with an ongoing puddle. It just doesn't really appeal to me. So I said, let's, let's do a win-win. On Saturday, I'll, I'll take you guys to the beach, and maybe I can go and journey myself. And I love to go to historic cities. I, I love to do that. I love to go. And so we decided I would take them to, to St. Augustine Beach, and then I would go to St. Augustine, one of, the, one of, our, uh, one of the, our nation's oldest cities, you know, founded by the Spanish. So on Friday, I kind of get a jump on things and I go to Hertz to rent a car and I pre-register and give them all the information thinking I would get a, get a leg up on things. So Saturday morning, we go to Hertz. As I walk into the Hertz office in the morning, it's probably about 25 people there. And it didn't matter if I pre-registered the day before or tried to sign up. I had to wait in line with 25 people ahead of me. So I waited, and about an hour and 15 minutes later, I get the car, we're taking off. All right, clear sailing from here. Well, then we got about an hour and, and 15 minute drive, and I don't know if you've been to Florida in the wintertime. I guess with the demographic and the population that goes down there, they don't always drive the fastest. And so that hour and 15 or hour, 15 minute drive turns out to be about an hour and 40 minutes. And so I go there, that's okay. And I, and I drop them off at the beach. So I'm going to head up north and I'm excited to go to St. Augustine. I've got my camera, I'm ready to take pictures. I'm going to impress people on Facebook with the pictures that I take, and it's going to look really awesome. And then I go to this river, and there's this long line of cars, and there's this drawbridge. 
you know, kind of like the one in Port Huron on Military Street, you know, you ever get caught? That thing was up for 30 minutes. It goes down, okay, it's clear sailing from here. I go into St. Augustine. It is packed. And I did not take into account that just down the road on the next day, it is the Daytona 500. (laughs) And you have masses of people who have come in. So I go into public parking, and I'm there for 30 minutes, and people are about to break out into fights, and there's honking, and nobody can get a place to park. So I said, I'm out of here. So I tried to go to this other area, and I couldn't get a parking spot. So I said, I'm done with this. St. Augustine looks nice, but I won't get to see it. I go to the southern edge of the town and I I park at Dunkin' Donuts and I drink coffee and wait for my wife and daughter to get done at the beach. So we kind of work out a time. I'm kind of chilling there at Dunkin' Donuts. I, I go to get them. I pick them up at the beach. Brenda's, oh, Anthony, I've had a wonderful time. And she's got all of these rocks and shells she's collected. She's so excited. So that's great. I said, well, we're going to head back to my mom's. That's wonderful because I've got her Garmin. I've got the GPS. I said, what's smooth sailing from here? I press home. Okay, just take me there. We get to the place where it took us to her home. The problem is, is it's the home that she lived at last year. She had moved. And by the time we got home, it's the evening, I looked at Brenda and I said, Brenda, give me my mom's address, find out where she lives, and don't talk to me the rest of the trip. (laughs) And at that time, you're praying a prayer, God, give me patience and give it to me now. All right? And it's so funny because my wife had said to me, A couple of days before this is, Anthony, I've appreciated that you've become more patient as a person. And folks, this is a place of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's the place where we are so thankful for where God brought us. But we're hungry because there's so much more to go. Amen? And this is the blessed life. This is a life of joy where we're grounded in reality of grace. So let me bring this in for a landing. What do you need to do? What does God have for me? You're asking that question. How do I attain that destiny that God has for me? How do I fulfill the life that he has called for me to live? Well, let me give you a couple of encouragements. Number one, pursue God's plan today. Pursue God's plan today. Jesus did not say to us that we're blessed if we hunger and thirst for the perfect job, the ideal family, the perfect situation. He did not say that we're blessed if we know where we're going to be for the next 5 or 10 or 20 years. He says that we're blessed if we hunger for obedience today. We're blessed if we're living today the life we should so that we're being prepared for the doors that God will open up tomorrow. You, can't, you cannot control your circumstances. You can't control your situation, but you can control how you respond. 
and you can control how you are obedient in a situation. You can build a whole career. You can have a great reputation. Everything can feel solid at your work and you can feel very stable. But a new management or some type of competition comes along and completely removes you from the place where you're sitting. You can't control that. But you can control how you respond. Do you remember Joseph? 17 years old. He is sold by his brothers into Egypt. He is there as a slave in Potiphar's house. And he couldn't control the situation. He couldn't control the betrayal. But there while he was in Potiphar's house, he learned righteousness and obedience. And he excelled to the top of the leadership over that palace. But in the process of reaching that peak, he had kind of a reverse Me Too situation where Potiphar's wife was continually sexually harassing Joseph. And Joseph held himself. He was obedient. He loved God. He leaned on righteousness. He did not sin against God or Potiphar, but she lied and he was thrown into prison. But there in prison, he learned obedience. He couldn't control his circumstances, but he could control his response. He hungered and thirsted to obey the Lord even in the midst of his pain. And in a process of 13 years, while he was in prison, he reached God's destiny to become second in command and leadership of the nation of Egypt and so save his family and preserve the nation of Israel. Joseph couldn't have figured out how to do that. Joseph couldn't have planned that. Joseph couldn't have orchestrated that. All that he could do was thirst and hunger for obedience today in anticipation of the doors that God would open tomorrow. And so you're asking, where will God take me tomorrow? I don't know. But the real question is, is where is God leading you today? And just pursuing God today is enough. Number two, prepare for God's plan tomorrow. Prepare for God's plan tomorrow. You cannot force God to give you answers. You have to let his will unfold. And as you prepare today, tomorrow will make more sense. If someone were to look at your life and just to observe you over the next month, they were to look at your behaviors, your actions, your priorities. What would they predict about your future? What would they say about you and where you are going? Would they look at what you're viewing in terms of the websites? And what would they predict about your life? Would they look at the books that you are reading and what would they predict about where you're heading? Would they look at the friends that you're hanging around and what would they, what would they conclude about the person that you are developing yourself to be? When they look at the trials you're overcoming, what kind of character would they be seeing? What actions are you taking? 